0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Usine, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome to Leadership in Action. That is the show you are listening to, Sirius XM's business radio, powered by the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. I am your host tonight, Mike Usain. I'm the director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management and faculty director of the McNulty Leadership Program here at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, PA. Welcome to the show. I'm flying solo tonight. And it being summer, not quite late summer, but we're well into August now. I'd like everybody to think along with me. I'd like you to think about uh, one of your deepest concerns, your biggest anxieties, your most profound personal fears, in 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 what what you do, how you do it, and and where you go. Uh, I'll confess my own, and then we're going to get into a conversation with this uh, with a person who's written a book called Mastering Fear. It's the classic teacher's anxiety of coming to class late or maybe worse, ill-prepared. And in our dreams, many teachers report the same dream. We're we're walking late into the class. Some people have already left and others are, are not maybe impressed all that much with the teaching that follows once you are there. Uh, it's actually um, it's not a it's not a good fear to have. It's but it is a fear that I and many teachers I've heard from others uh, do share, and <clears throat> I have worked to master that. Uh, and this is going to be our dialogue now with Brandon Webb in just a minute by ensuring that I never show up late to class, uh, that, that I am as prepared as possible, and that fear is a to turn it to productive use is. Uh, It's a kind of a driver. It's a reminder of what we have to do, how we have to be prepared. So quick uh, question for listeners. Uh, Just give a thought to your own deepest fear as it affects your involvement in the world on the outside. And ask yourself in the coming 12 months, this is going to be our dialogue with Brandon. What are some of the steps that you can take to address that and turn a fear into what Brandon will call an ally, make it work for you, and not in a way that undermines you. So, with that, I'd like to uh, introduce and bring Brandon onto to our program. Brandon Webb, welcome to Sirius XM Channel One Three Two.
1: Thank you, Mike. Uh, pleasure to be here,
0: Brandon. I'm going to say a couple words about you, so our listeners have got a head start on our discussion. Uh, you are the host of a podcast called Power of Thought. You are the CEO of Hurricane Group, which is a media and e-commerce business. We're going to be talking about that. And prior to both, you served um, in uniform for the United States as a uh, Navy, U.S. Navy Chief and SEAL for more than a decade. And Brandon, just to say it um, at this point, we all appreciate your service on behalf of the country. You saw various uh, deployments in the Middle East, uh, including Afghanistan. You've also served as an instructor at the Navy SEAL Sniper School. Uh, and among other things, you have been active in what is called the Young President's Organization of New York, which is an organization, i work worked with it in the past myself, of uh, people who at a young age uh, have managed to become president of their organization. So, uh welcome, Brandon. We're going to say a bit more about uh, other activities in which you've been involved um, a little bit later on. But uh, welcome to the show. And in as much as you did serve for a decade as a Navy SEAL, let's start with uh, the training. We know a lot about that. Uh, It's in your book. It's in other books, the kind of extraordinary training you go through. And part of that not all of course, but part of that is just learning to come to terms with deep anxieties and fears such as drowning. So, Brandon, pick up on that. Talk about your your education as a SEAL and how it helped you master fear.
1: Sure, well, you know, I'll start off with a story about the probably the the young youngest age mm-hmm. I can remember really being scared and and in a moment of indecision around fear, and my parents are very adventurous people. They, um, I was born in Canada. My my parents were also, um, were also hippies, uh, mm. which is kind of ironic. You know, they, my mom always wondered how the how the heck her son chose the path to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> but we had uh, we lived in Canada for. For several years. Uh, I was born in Canada. My mom is American. My my father's Canadian. Uh, my dad had built a construction company from scratch. Moved. Uh, then he ended up losing the business during the savings and loans crisis. They had this dream to sail around the world. They bought a sailboat uh, in Vancouver, Canada. We sailed the boat down to uh, Ventura, California, and and lived on the boat. Um, and and I ended up getting my first job on a scuba diving uh, charter boat out of ventura california i was amazing job as a as a 12 year old kid just working for tips you know filling filling scuba tanks taking the trash out eventually working my way up the the chain but at the time the captain uh, one of the captains roger taught me how to dive he certified me and i'd worked the first season and had a few dives under my belt and I remember we're at the northernmost Channel Island, uh, San Miguel Island, on the backside, and we had anchored up for the night. We fed the passengers. The crew went to sleep. And I was shaken awake at about 2 in the morning by Captain Mike, and he said, get your wetsuit on. You're going to go dive down and and get the anchor unstuck. And uh, as I was groggily kind of shaking it off, I was coming to terms with the request. Uh, all I could think about was sharks because we were at one of the largest sea lion habitats uh, off the of California coast, hmm. and if anybody has watched Shark Week or
0: uh, <laughs> or Underwater. <laughs> totally. It's going what, through my head right now. <laughs> what
1: <it> feeds <laughs> off of sea lions is great white sharks. Um, you know, added to the fact I was an inexperienced, relatively inexperienced diver, it was nighttime. The visibility because the weather did get rough i knew the visibility was going to be not so good um and so all this is going through my head and i was thinking this is crazy like there's no way but i didn't want to let these guys down too because i knew that i was the, the low man on the totem pole so i i got my wetsuit on and just took it one step at a time when i walked up to the bow jumped in the water with my tank my flashlight and swam as fast as I could to the bottom about 50 feet down and could see the sea lions go whizzing by me with the bioluminescence and the chain was wrapped around this big ledge the size of a truck uh, and I swam it around the, the ledge to get it free shot up, uh, took my regular out of my mouth, shot a bunch of bubbles up to let the guys know to kind of put the engines in neutral so I could surface uh, without getting hit by the prop uh, finished and realized, wow, that wasn't that bad. It was, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, and and kind of invented in my in my head. And you know, so you know, fast forward a few years, my father tells the family we're going to take this big sailing trip around the world, uh, and we end up sailing from California down all of Baja, Mexico, mainland to Acapulco, over to the Marquesas Islands. And I was, just, I was about to turn 16, and we made it to Pape de Tahiti. And my dad and I had this big argument about seamanship. <laughs> hmm. And I learned an important leadership lesson that day there's one captain on the boat. And, <laughs> <that's>,
0: <laughs> and that might be your dad.
1: <laughs> and that was my father. And he told me to get off at 16. He's like, son, I think it's time you head out on your own. And being <laughs> the, the stubborn 16 year old I was, I packed the bag. My mom was crying, my sister's crying. I looked on the, the board in the harbor of Papeete, They this, you this know, board with all these post-its on there, look, you know, people selling stuff, looking for crew, and I found a catamaran sailing for Hawaii. So off I went, and I probably cried myself to sleep the first four or five nights because I realized what the hell I just do. <laughs> I'm on my own. I mean, maybe $150 in my name and a backpack full of belongings. Um, and you also learn a lesson, like what really is important to you when you when you pack that bag. Um, and so, you know, I ended up kind of finding my own way as a 16 year old, and uh, I'd finished school early, uh, high school, and ended up uh, reading a book about the SEAL teams, and that's really what got got me interested in, in the SEALs. Uh, to to kind of jump ahead, to what what inspired mastering fear was. Um, and I'd love to get into business later, but I'm, I moved my business to New York. I'm, I made a friend of mine, Kamal Ravikant. Uh, Kamal's an you know, amazing guy. Uh, he doesn't look like it but because he's, he's got this long hair, but he's an Army vet, um, but was a Silicon Valley kind of insider. Uh, his brother started AngelList. Kamal's involved in many tech startups. Now he runs a tech venture capital fund and, and a cryptocurrency, I think one of the most popular crypto newsletters in the u.s Hmm. and i got to be friends with him and realize he's terrified of the water he couldn't swim he's a 40 year old man and i i said come on come on there's no way we can be good friends and you not know how to swim given my background so i said let me teach you how to swim so i you know i i got him to commit for an hour a day for for a week i took him to the New York Athletic Club pool, uh, where I'm a member here in Manhattan. And, and before I took them, you know, you, you appreciate this as a teacher. I, I don't think students understand. They just show up to class and, you know, you start giving a lesson plan, and they don't realize the, the preparation that goes into it on the back end. You know, you talk about your fear of showing up late or unprepared because you have to really prepare as a teacher, it's one thing I learned as a sniper instructor. Um, and so I, I put a lot of thought into how am I going to overcome this fear of his. And, and I developed a program to just take it these small steps and you know, start off very slowly. And then over a week, this guy who, who would just grasp for the side of the pool in tear on Friday, he was doing cannonballs, diving down hmm. 10 feet to the bottom without a mask or grabbing stuff off the bottom of the pool and Kamal gets out he says look you you changed my life like you in a way nobody else has been able to do you taught me not to swim you taught me to confront the fear and and overcome it it's it's always there but he's like i've never i've never been able to swim before and he says you got to write a book about this so that's that's kind of the uh, the the long answer to your question yeah and, um,
0: and Brandon, let me but, intervene quickly on that sure. Looking back on that incident, uh, wonderfully told just now, and it it opened your book as well. If there is one thing that you derive from that that you've used since then for mastering fear, what would what would looking back? I think it took you four or five days to achieve the full breakthrough with the Kamal. What, what's the one thing that really stands out that you learned, or maybe knew, but really had confirmed by that experience? For helping other people master the interferes that we all carry around,
1: you know, I think the the process of teaching Kamal was actually a gift in itself because when I decided to write the book, I had to really break down what I saw as uh, the system that I did use to teach Kamal, and it, it involved, you know, the preparation, uh, getting in his head and. and Telling him, look, when you go home tonight, you need to think about everything that we did here today. I want you to do it over again in, in your head. I want you to do the mental rehearsal uh, because it's going to help with your confidence. Uh, and so, you know, that, that mental rehearsal visualization. And then also I said, you need to start talking to yourself differently because I know or can can guess pretty close to what you're saying to yourself in your head and and we all deal with fear we all uh walk around and the the voices start creeping up like i'm not good enough um or my business is going to fail any minute like we we all deal with this these issues and so i told kamal i said you you have to change a conversation in your head to one that says look i have the ability to swim Um, i know i can swim i have it in me i have a you know, a friend is teaching me, you know, and start replacing those negative thoughts with with more of like a positive uh, affirmation mantra whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um,
0: Brandon, I'm going to remind listeners for just a moment that they are listening to Leadership in Action on Channel 132, Sirius XM, business radio, powered by our school, the Wharton School. I'm Mike Hussein, and I'm in dialogue with Brandon Webb, co-author of a just-released book, called Mastering Fear, A Navy Seal's Guide. Uh, join us if you've got a question or a comment. We're at 844-942-7866. And, Brandon, to get right back into the um, your compelling account of working with Kamal on overcoming one of life's great fears for those who can't swim, that is a genuine fear. And you also tell a story of a night landing, as I recall, on a destroyer. A helicopter is coming in with you on board uh, to do a night landing on a destroyer by uh, just a series of uh, kind of partially connected uh, incidents. You end up, or the pilot ends up, bringing the copter down not on the destroyer's deck but into the uh, the sea below, and it was a near disaster. And you offer the account, just to elaborate, I'm just going to get to the main point I want to stress here, Sure that the pilot, at a point where uh, it became urgent that the pilot take corrective action, otherwise four people on board, including you, were not going to get out of there that night, the pilot seemed to freeze up, but the co-pilot took control, uh, hit the accelerator or the equivalent, and pulled the helicopter up, and Just if you'd pick up on that, maybe around this point, just like with Kamal, you can actually see a difference sometimes in a person between point A and point B and sometimes between two people who are in the same situation. So if you could pick up a bit on that story and help us understand, if you would, why the co-pilot was able to take control, uh, put you all on the deck successfully, was uh, in, in the end an uneventful landing, close to a disaster. So anyway question is I guess to give it a very sharp edge uh, not only what made the difference with Kamal my prior question but what makes the difference between two people in this case a pilot and a co-pilot
1: sure and this, you know this, it's a it's a story I'll remember for the rest of my life um, obviously because it was a very uh, hmm. traumatic incident but we um, just to Layer up a little more background. We had just come off uh, night vision goggles in the Persian Gulf on a moonless, starless night. So it was pitch black, and our helicopter. This and b- before I was a Navy CO, I was a search and rescue swimmer and aviation mm-hmm. systems operator and H-60 uh, helicopters. So we were based on the aircraft carrier, conducting a mission. Had just come off night vision goggles, and. We needed to get fuel, so a little bit of poor planning that we didn't have enough time to really uh, dark adapt our eyes. You know, mm. your eyes need about thirty minutes to to adjust to, uh, to from light to to dark. And so we're in a situation: where we got to get gas. We have to land on this small destroyer to fuel up to make it back to the aircraft carrier. And the pilot starts the approach. You know, he's talking to the the controller on the destroyer. We slow the bird down to just below 100 knots so we can safely open the cabin door. Um, I'm with my crewman Rich. He's a senior crewman. I'm a junior guy. I open the door and and I start looking for the light, the lineup lights, because usually we assist the pilots. We just act as a second set of eyes, and mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I just normally you see the lights the the lineup lights down low and I didn't see any lights. And I look to the nose of the helicopter and I see this bright light and I say, that doesn't look right. Mm. And then all of a sudden the helicopter hits the water, thankfully, or we all would have been dead. Probably, uh, it had slowed down probably to about 20 knots. So it got really slow and low and, and hit the water. Water started coming in the cabin and, All I could think was, oh, man, I'm I'm not strapped in. Like, this is going to be really bad. Because we have, when the helicopters crash, you know, the rotors throw debris. And because the rotor's on top and it's top heavy, it flips upside down and down. And down you sink, upside down. Mm. And if you're not strapped in, which I wasn't, um, it's really dangerous. And, you know, we have a little uh, tiny scuba tank bottle that allows us to egress, but – but anyway, uh, the senior crewman and I, Rich, we start yelling altitude, altitude, altitude. Um, we could hear the, the pilot Bennett just mumbling something. He was the helicopter commander. And Kennedy, who was the, the junior junior guy but also a helicopter commander himself, was kind of a, like he was really liked by the, by the entire uh, air crew uh, shop. Um, but he was, and he was, a, he was a really nice guy, but kind of like small and geeky. And it, it was my first time uh, aside from a uh, first time of many experiences. I'll say when I learned, you cannot judge a person's metal
0: mm-hmm. by
1: the exterior because this guy was this goofy technology pilot. Everyone very likable, but he was kind of a goof, goofy tech guy and he just. Turned into nerves of steel. Told Bennett, "I've got the controls, and pulled us out, and landed us on that boat, and and saved us all." Um, And and you know, I don't know, you know, what exactly went into to his training, but Kennedy had something that Bennett didn't, because Bennett was way more experienced. Um, But it's something I'll, I'll remember for the rest of my life, and. Um, I wish I could could find uh, old Lieutenant Kennedy and and have a beer with him and <laughs> yeah. thank him. Yeah. So maybe, hopefully, he's listening to this and he'll yeah. reach out to me.
0: So, Brendan, you make uh, the great point here by these two examples that some of the primordial things about us, our ability to stay focused, to retain control, to ensure that anxiety works to our benefit and not uh, is not a source of paralysis – And We're going to take a break in just a a minute or two and come back and get into, I'm going to read here from a quote from your book, what individuals who are listening to this program can take from this and do about it. You say, direct quote here, mastering fear is not about becoming physically stronger or tougher or more macho or more aggressive or more stoic or more pumped up. It is about learning to identify and change the conversation in your head, and I just uh, just quickly picking up on that. It's a very optimistic view of human nature. I share it that uh, our 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 the 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 weakest aspects of our personality or our style or our leadership abilities are are weak, uh, not working well for us. But through hard work, we can do something about it. So. We're going to come back and talk about that after the break. But just to give us a preview, if there's a, in about 60 seconds here, if there is one factor that you would single out <clears throat> as you watch Kamal make that transition from not swimming, fear of water, into now a swimmer, or help that co-pilot get to the point mentally where he could lift the helicopter up, what would you single out? And then we'll pick up on this after the break.
1: I mean, I would just call it Courage. Because, you know, I see Kamal had the courage to, to acknowledge the fear, be vulnerable, vulnerable about it, and had the courage to act. And that's what I would, I would signal out.
0: Uh, that's great. What I think
1: relates to leadership is is communication. Communication is so important every day as a leader. And what I saw Kennedy, the co-pilot, display was real leadership in the way he communicated his confidence across the crew communication system and also the senior crewman, Rich Freeze, uh, who actually uh, ended up getting a medal for his leadership because he was really probably, out of the four of us, the most senior uh, crewman in the the helicopter. And he also really talked Kennedy through – because we missed a couple approaches – uh, when we came back around hmm. and it was rich that was really able to work with Kennedy. Um, and I just stepped out of the way cause it was, it, I was a new guy, but it was, it was a real lesson for me in leadership as a junior non-commissioned officer to see, um, demonstrated in rich. And, and I think that from a leadership, um, point of view, communication is so important and, when when you're in crisis and people are panicking and, and we're emotional right like there's a reason the the ad, the advent of behavioral economics came onto the scene because we realized people don't behave rationally in, in many ways and as a leader you have to kind of communicate in a positive way to kind of bring people uh, back back to center um, and so that's i just think it was an important thing that i was As I was telling you that story and listening to you, uh, I just think it was worth mentioning.
0: Yeah, Brandon, a really important point because uh, just to frame our discussion here a bit, the story here or the issue here is partly our inner selves, getting a hold of ourselves, listening to the voice within. Um, Remember, it's about you and it's not about the outside environment. That said, and this is then where we kind of kick into the leadership issue, how we behave and how we express our fears also affects others around us. And so I think you made a just a great point there that on the inside of the co-pilot's head, it was they probably had all of his alarm bells going off. But you just said it, he didn't convey that. He displayed, I think what I'll put my words on it, what amounted to a Kind of a deaf control of the moment, uh, taking charge of the situation. and so uh, just I think the formula maybe has got two sides to it, uh, our inner selves and then our outer display. What do you think?
1: Uh, absolutely. And I'll share a personal story. You know, the business that I run today, um, hurricane, you know we have a big e-commerce component of the business we're We're a media publisher of mostly. of military outdoor entertainment content and then we we have this e-commerce business where we have two big subscription box businesses um a box called uh, kuna dog for dog owners and uh, we have a another box called the crate club and it's kind of this james bond box uh, for men that we send every month Uh, i think i think it's the biggest um, gear club in north america now so you know Mm -hmm. i was on vacation and In Europe, with my daughter, her best friend, and my youngest son, uh, who's ten, and we're in France for the World Cup final, and my operations manager calls me, uh, and I'm getting another call coming in from my controller, and they're telling me that Facebook has just shut us down all of our ads, Mm. (laughs) and we we do a lot of performance marketing uh, across the internet, but we really go heavy in on Facebook and Instagram, and, and we spend several hundred thousand dollars a month on these platforms, and we make, you know, three, four X back, uh, and so they they had saw our landing page from one of our advertisements, and we had photos of some guys, you know, Navy SEALs with guns, and they labeled us as a gun seller, which is a huge violation of Facebook policy. So they shut probably fifty active ad campaigns down completely, and to to start an ad set, it takes a couple days for the ad to take, for the algorithm to learn, for for you to kind of retarget certain audiences.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's just a process. They shut everything down, and all of a sudden we're dead in the water.
0: This <laughs> and, is your air crash in a helicopter.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we've just hit the water, and. And everyone's freaking out because, you know, it took us like a day and a half to figure out what happened. now we're on day three, and we're, you know, hundreds of thousands of revenue lost, and this hasn't happened to us before. And everyone's panicking because my controller knows that this affects cash flow because we monitor everything closely, you know, week to week, if not day to day. And it's affecting, you know, the out months. Instantly, like vendor payments, payroll, uh, you name it, and so, you know, they're they're freaking out, and I'm, uh, I'll be honest, I I went right there with them for, for a brief moment and mm-hmm. started thinking, oh my god, my business, I'm gonna lose my business. <laughs> I'm in France. Like, why am I? Why am I on this vacation? I should be paying closer attention. Uh, and then I just said, wait a minute, I need to. Re- to get it together and think about, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, we don't get any ads up. We have to wait till the first, which is our rebuild date. And then we know we got, you know, thousands and thousands of customers that are gonna rebuild and we're gonna have we're gonna have we're gonna be re- revenue positive. And so I just kind of thought about the situation and said, okay, uh, that's the worst case scenario, one of them. So, I got my team on the phone. I said, like, Look, guys, we've got really good customers. We've got a strong subscriber base. It's going to be okay. Like, we can deploy resources to other areas of advertising. Um, and we have a stable customer base. If we have to make some small cuts, that's fine, but everything's going to be okay. And I could just, even on the phone, I could feel the tension kind of drop mm. from the air. That's great. And, and my ops guy Tim said thank you so much. He's like, I I needed to hear that from you. And, and and I think that that's what you have to do in a position of leadership. You have to you have to communicate uh, and they're looking for you as a leader uh, to to make sure that you're ready, you know, in any scenario, to, to kind of lead them. Because if I had of just caved in and gone into into despair, um, you know, it would have just gotten worse. Everybody and else is. is
0: going to follow it, totally. Brandon, yeah, I've, got he, a, I've got a parallel example that uh, I picked up personally in working with what are called wildland firefighters. These are the people who don't work in cities but work on sometimes federal, state, or local crews on combating fires in the wilderness, uh, many deployed in California as we speak And a leader of uh, one of those crews that I talked with at great length uh, described exactly those moments akin to your moment when the fire was looking more dangerous than expected. Conditions were more threatening than anticipated. And he could detect among his firefighters, these wildland firefighters who are a very hardy group, they were beginning to get uh, more than antsy about the situation. He also worried that um, a, a, a panicked kind of reaction was going to be counterproductive. And thus, he's a smoker. He decided to get up on a prominent point. visual cues are very important in this particular form of combat. Got up on a high spot, took out a cigarette, and just slowly smoked it. And it did have the effect. The visual cues worked of getting people focused and kind of um, recommitted to the task, got panic um, out of there. It sounds like you had more or less the same moment uh, in this particular case.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing that we always, I learned it in the SEAL team, adversity and crisis always produces opportunities. Like in the SEALs, maybe it's an opportunity to, to kind of, Use the crisis and the, and, and the typical reaction of your adversary against them. In business, I, I told my team, I said, look, what do we learn from this? We learned that we need better margin in our box. So it's it forced us to think about really accelerating our product development so, so we get a full spread margin. We don't just accept a, a retail margin on the, the equipment that we're selling. It forced us to look at the fact that we were too heavy invested into Facebook. Hmm. You know, and what are the other uh, sites like Google, Pinterest, the other advertising areas? We we went into now the, one of the top video games. We're exploring that game called Fortnite, um, and so it really we got much better because of this crisis, and especially hmm. into in today's environment where technology changes so rapidly if you look at just how how we use social media in the last five years has changed radically like these kids that are on instagram and snapchat um, it's crazy and it, but that's it's evolution and if your business isn't reading the tea leaves and kind of watching where the market's going and you're not communicating that as a leader to your team weekly you're in big trouble. Like uh, I'm an author, I look at Barnes and Noble, and I love Barnes and Noble, I think they're gonna be out of business in a couple of years because the market's passing them by. And you you don't have to, to live in a city like New York or any metropolitan city to walk the streets and see how ground floor retail is getting destroyed by e-commerce. Like these little businesses are going out of business every day, there's vacancy yep. signs everywhere.
0: Yep. Brandon, hold on just a second. I need to remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action. I'm Mike Yusem. I'm on the faculty here at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. And we're in conversation with Brandon Webb, co-author of a new book, Mastering Fear, A Navy Seals Guide. And, Brandon, to pick up on commentary that you were just offering, I picked out four points. I'd like to just emphasize and then ask you for maybe one or two more in in mastering fear, making it work for you and not against you, uh, taking this example where you suddenly were cut off uh, in some of your web presence, getting a hold of yourself, first step. Got to just, uh, as they say, if you are in an aircraft that's not doing so well, look at the clock. It still works. Focus on what works. Secondly, you've got to communicate that ability or that confidence that you're going to restore a presence, an order, or a future. Number three, you need to look back and learn you said it, learn from adversity. It's often an amazing school if you use it well. And then number four, I heard you say you've also you've got to now look ahead. In light of all of the above, uh, what do we need to do to change our enterprise to ensure it does not suffer the fate uh, that say uh, several companies, including Borders, the earlier bookseller, faced a couple of years ago. So, Brandon, working out a little bit of a formula here, what else would you add to those four points that you've just so uh, nicely illustrated with this particular example?
1: I mean, I, th- I think you pr- you did a pretty damn good job <laughs> explaining okay. it. The the one thing I just wanted to touch on quickly um on the subject of leadership, too, is like, leader, like leaders, like true leadership is really tested under fire, right? It's Anybody can lead an organization that's kind of chugging along, making revenue. It, it takes a true test of leadership, like a true crisis to really test uh, a leader's mettle. And back to the helicopter story, you saw the senior pilot in the cockpit, was not the one that took charge and demonstrated leadership. It was the junior helicopter commander, Kennedy. Um, And I just think I see a lot of, you know, you see a lot of leadership changes in these big publicly traded companies today. And it's like some leaders have what it takes when crisis crisis strikes, whether it's a PR crisis, uh, a market crisis, a recession, you can see the leaders that have what it takes to kind of weather the storm because they've anticipated, they have a strategy, they're communicating to the team um, and, and the outside market in the case of a public company. Um, you know, and, and I think one of the most dynamic leaders of, of my generation is Elon Musk. I mean, the stuff that that guy has done and gone completely against the grain. And I just, I think one of his, Skills is that he's a great communicator mm-hmm. and a great visionary, and he's able to communicate that and not only inspire people in his in his companies, but also inspire the marketplace. Because you look at mm-hmm. a company like Tesla, I don't, you know, that's losing money, <laughs> but has an extremely strong share price.
0: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Brandon, let's think about going from point A to point B in the following sense. When you began your well, when you went into training to become a Navy SEAL. You do give the account of uh, a pretty daunting trial. I, I shudder as I was reading the, the passage. I shudder, too. Okay. Today. Well, in fact, that's exactly where I'm going because you're, your ankles are bound, your hands are bound. You're in a pool with a 15-foot depth, and uh, you're asked to uh, sink to the bottom and then power yourself up to get air only to sink back to the bottom and so on. If you could elaborate on that, and a particular reference, this. This was very graphic in your description. When you were there waiting for your turn, you could hear the sounds of other other of those in training who were struggling, and in some cases simply giving up. You could hear their, uh, not cries for help, but you could hear their distress, and yet you were willing to go through it yourself, and you obviously passed with flying colors. So thinking very personally, what gave you that kind of inner strength to stay focused such that when you got to pull the throttle on a helicopter to bring it up, you were ready to do it later on?
1: Sure. Uh, So the evolution is called drown-proofing, and the instructors tie up your hands. Your hands are tied behind your back. Your feet are tied up, and you're thrown into the pool and you you practice this, uh, but you practice it with you know like velcro straps, so it's not real like they use real rope and not for the test, and you're expected to do a series of of bobbing, you know sinking up and down, then you have to swim with your hands and feet tied you know several lengths uh, and it you know it really tests your
0: mm-hmm.
1: comfortability in the water you know. Fortunately, I had spent probably my from 12 years old on training for this exact moment. So I had, I had the practice, and I think, I think people underestimate the practice and that they have to still put in the work. You, it's not a video game where you can just enter the cheat code in and, and all of a sudden you have this magic ability. You have to put in the hard work, and the same goes with with overcoming fear. Um, I think one of the greatest examples I I tell about the water and SEAL training is um, my friend now, Rob O'Neill, who was the guy that shot Osama bin Laden. Rob showed up to SEAL training. He didn't know how to swim at all. Hmm. And they had to put him in a special, like, remedial swim lesson, teach him the basics, and then he could start training. Um, But um, so I can only imagine, like, the, the stuff that was going through his head. Um, but for me, in this scenario, I had put in the training and had the confidence to kind of go through the evolution, and that's what I. Back to the the inspiration behind mastering fear. It was uh, the fact that I taught Kamal how to swim, and, and I knew that I couldn't just throw him into the pool because like, my friends mm-hmm. were like, "Oh, your your buddy Brandon, the Navy Seal uh, business guy, three he probably just threw you into the deep end and." And told you to suck it up, and I knew that. Sink Yeah, and I knew, that that yeah, and I knew yeah. that's not the way. And so I had to to build up his confidence, and, and over time, and then I could get him to the point where I said, "Hey, come on, you're. I want you to let half your air out of your lungs, and I want you to sink to the bottom, and I want you to push yourself back up." And it, he had the confidence in his own ability, and, and plus, I was giving him mm-hmm. homework, like mental homework. <clears> I said, "Go home." Uh, like we talked earlier, and imagine yourself doing everything we just did today um, and, and changing the conversation in your head. And then he was able to, to pass uh, my test that I gave him, and, and I said, look, I, you may not be the best swimmer. You're not going to win any races, but you're going to be safe if you fall over the side of a boat. I know you're going to live, and for hmm. me, that's mission accomplished. Yep, yep, terrific.
0: Brandon, this has been extremely helpful. We've got a couple of minutes to go. Let me ask a personal question, and I'm going to end on a more of a leadership issue. In sure. uh, coming to terms with our deepest fears, we've got to understand them, have to articulate them. And if you don't mind my asking a personal question, what is your greatest fear of that kind at the moment?
1: I'll be very honest. I have two fears. Um, I have my fear as a business leader is that I'm going to miss something in the market, and because I recognize how quickly uh, technology advances. uh, Today, we get a lot of our revenue through e-commerce, but like the Facebook story we told, things could change very quickly. And I, you know, I run an eight-figure business. Um, I have almost 100 employees, and so my fear is I'm going to let let them down in some way or not catch something. So I, I reference a daily mantra um, yeah. and it's all full of positive affirmations. And sometimes I go to that mantra when I just get a little bit off center and it recenters me and goes, okay, I'm, things are okay. And so that's one fear. My my second big fear that I wanted to share is because I'm the parent and um, I've lost a lot of friends since nine 11 that served, um, it's, you know, looking at the positive side of it, which is what you have to do in these situations. Is it taught me the value of time, hmm. and um, it taught me that I need to really spend more time and in investing more time in my children. And my biggest fear is that for some reason um, I die too too young, and I don't. I haven't taught my kids enough to really be. Uh, And I talk about this in the book, Mastering Fear, you know, that I haven't prepared my kids for everything. They're going to have to, you know, given them the tools to be independent, happy kids and adults in the future. That's that would be my. my
0: Brandon, I really appreciate your directness and candor on that. So thank you. Uh, We've got about a minute to go. A final leadership question then. Let's say you've got somebody working for you who is panicked about speaking in front of your top team or to investors or maybe customers. What advice would you have to get them over one of the biggest fears that people report, which is the fear of public speaking?
1: It's mental rehearsal. It's, I've used it for public speaking. It works. And it's preparation, putting in the, the preparation. And at the very beginning when you start speaking in public – you've got to write out that speech and then your backup is you just read it. So you don't freeze up. The speech is written. It's in front of you. Uh, and then you visualize yourself in those scenarios over and over the nervousness of it. And then you realize that some, you realize in most cases that nervous fear is what you need to maximize your performance. It's why world records are broken, not in practice, but in, always in, com- in the competitive arena and I get nervous before I give a speech and to uh, a group, and I know now I, I welcome it. I've learned to welcome that nervous energy because I know it's going to force me to deliver a better speech.
0: Hmm. Brandon, I have a hunch that on more than a couple occasions, and I'm guilty of the same thing, you have encouraged people to speak up uh, almost spontaneously, a, a cold call, we'd call it in academe, uh, in that it's one way to help people, and I do this to myself, to overcome that anxiety. So I suspect you've done that once or twice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it keeps people on their toes. It
0: does it ever. So, <laughs> well, listen, fantastic. A quick final question just to bring it to a close here. Uh, for those who like to get a copy of your book, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, honestly, the, the best way is just to go uh, Mastering Fear on Amazon. In my name, Brandon Webb. Um, yep. They they can find me on my Instagram at Brandon T Webb, which is also my Twitter handle. Um, I'm very active on my own uh, social media, so they can they can ask me questions there. I encourage that. I love, I love engaging with with my uh, my audience on both Twitter and Instagram.
0: Okay, Brandon. Well, fantastic. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for your service. Um, read this book, everybody. Mastering Your Fear. Uh, This is Mike Yusseem. We're going to be back in a few minutes. This is Leadership in Action, Business Radio, powered by our school, the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.